This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Welcome to The Drill Down, the business stories behind stocks on the move. I'm Corey Johnson. Today's July 21st, and this is episode number 57. Well, just ahead, United tells us just how bad business travel is as it clutches to a government lifeline. And is sleep number's number up? And how do you get Wi-Fi at Mount Everest Base Camp with Cambium Networks? That's how we're going to talk to the CEO of this billion-dollar company. But first, it's sponsor time. The Drill Down is brought to you by Era, a one-stop equity platform where you can seamlessly connect to any earnings call and surface actionable insights automatically. Era's AI-powered tools will allow you to work faster and smarter. That's Era, A-I-E-R-A dot com. And of course, you can listen to The Drill Down on any of your favorite podcast platforms. One of my favorites is go to my Amazon Alexa speaker and say, hey, Amazon, play The Drill Down. And let us know what companies you think we should be drilling down on. Talk to us on Twitter and Instagram by following at DrillDownPod and connect with us directly at our website, bizpod.net. I'm Corey Johnson. Welcome to The Drill Down. We're explaining the business stories behind stocks and a move. And joining me, as always, editor extraordinaire, Ben Wilson. Nice to be on this side of the mic, Corey. Yeah, I wish we had the applause button with me on the road here, but I, I am on the road. Sounds like a lot of fun. Corey, tell me the three most important developments in the world of business today. All right, Ben, let's get right to it. Three most important business stories of the day. Number one, the drug settlement. The states uh, unveiled a historic $26 billion settlement with drug companies to resolve thousands of opioid crisis lawsuits. The three largest drug distributors, McKesson, Amerisource, Bergen, and Cardinal Health, and the drug maker Johnson & Johnson have been negotiating this deal for two years or so. Uh, now, the opioid crisis, of course, ruined the lives of millions, took the lives of more than a half million people, and that triggered lawsuits, thousands and thousands and thousands of lawsuits by the states, local governments, hospitals, Native American tribes. All those lawsuits together essentially alleged that drug makers pushed the painkillers for uses far beyond what was medically necessary and that their distributors and pharmacies were perfectly happy to sling those pills and look the other way. Now, the companies don't see it that way, of course. All the drugs were legally prescribed, a point that they like to make. But uh, rather than go through the expense of the lawsuits and all of the discovery that would be involved, they are going to be settling to a pretty penny of $26 billion. And that, of course, will help a lot of states and governments that spent a lot of money during the pandemic. Uh, they need those revenues. Now, that settlement, that's with those three drug distributors? Those three distributors and Johnson & Johnson, yeah. Got it. All right, number two, the U.S. has extended its border restrictions with Canada and Mexico for another month. Thanks to the surging Delta variant and lagging U.S. vaccination rates, Border crossings with Canada and Mexico are going to stay closed to non-essential travel through August 21st, according to the Department of Homeland Security. Now, the U.S. has renewed these restrictions every month since March of 2020. And until now, they'd been in lockstep with our neighbors across the border, our neighbors to the north. I can practically see Canada from here, to paraphrase Sarah Palin. I'm in upstate New York. But uh, they are no longer in lockstep. Because on Monday, Canada, those very nice people to the north, 
So they would allow fully vaccinated Americans to visit Canada starting August 9, um, but and uh, plans to welcome other nationalities uh, starting in September. But uh, the U.S. is not returning the favor, and that's going to uh, has greatly, greatly, greatly affected uh, businesses, um, especially those businesses that rely on people going back and forth between uh, the two countries or the three countries that are in Mexico here as well. Well, if the nice people to the north are closing the border, then uh, I guess Americans have got to start paying attention, huh? Yeah, exactly. All right. Third most important business story of the day, lumber prices in the tank. All of the exciting gains of this year in lumber are now gone. Lumber is down 68% from the lofty peak uh, just a few months ago. Um, uh, the lumber futures closed at uh, 584 um, today, up just a tiny bit today, but nonetheless giving up all of the gains for the year. Uh, and that's probably good news for uh, the housing market because um, the construction of, of housing was uh, severely affected and prices affected by those lumber surging lumber prices. Corey, what stocks are you drilling down on today? Let's start with United Airlines. You had some quality time with United last week, didn't you? Oh, yeah. United Airlines shares were up 4% today, and for the last 12 months, shares are up 46%. What is your unique perspective on the story with United Airlines? There is no lovely, more lovely splendor than Newark Airline in a flash flood, in a thunderstorm. Yeah, I got a, what did I get, like seven, eight, hour, eight hours there? Nine hours there on the, over the weekend? Anyway, everybody's all safe now. They, they got to where they needed to go. I'm where I need to be. United Airlines uh, also where they need to report, be reporting second quarter earnings. And yes, the return of vacation travelers like the Johnson family helped them reduce their quarterly loss of $434 million. Uh, and actually, it's surprisingly strong revenue. Uh, United said expects to actually turn a pre-tax profit in the remaining two quarters of the year, which would break their string of six straight money-losing quarters since the pandemic crushed air travel. Now, their second quarter loss would have been a whole heck of a lot worse, one and a half billion, as opposed to the, what, 400 million that it was, uh, without the more than 1.1 billion in federal pandemic aid that they recognized during the quarter. But I want to know one thing from United Airlines conference call today. I want to know how low is business travel and can they see that information from monitoring their mileage plus frequent flyers and their premier business class sales? Here's Chief Commercial Officer Andrew Nosella on their conference call this morning. What we can tell you is that while the penetration of mileage plus on the aircraft is still below our historic norms by about seven or eight points, uh, we see that number gain in strength uh, each month. Um, and more and more customers are coming back and uh, our premier members are back to flying again and using our credit card. And the ones that aren't are because they only generally fly global long haul uh, and those particular borders are closed or are difficult to get into. So we, we do see uh, the, this return into normal from all the things we look at. The other thing I would tell you is, uh, as we've kind of gone through this crisis, headlines have, drove and, have driven uh, cancellation and no-show factors higher. Uh, and I can assure you right now our no-show and cancellation factors uh, are completely normal. We've seen no change in them over the last few weeks. Uh, and they're basically uh, slightly above 2019 levels, which they have been for quite some time. So there you have it. Cancellation and no-shows. That suggests uh, COVID and Delta variant not affecting things right now. But also business travel, you know, about down about 7%, but not the total disaster that you might have expected. And of course, global long haul, not back yet. Not for everybody. 
Although you're Western Europe's open, Ben. So, you know, that might start to change some things. So what you're saying is business podcast network trip to Paris? Um, 100%. We can go meet my daughter. She's going to be there in a few weeks. She's in Barcelona right now. She's living the high life. Corey, what is your next drill down? All right, let's look at sleep number. Sleep number trades with the ticker SNBR. Shares were down 13% today, and for the last 12 months, shares are up 114%. What's the story with sleep number? All right, so remember our interview with uh, Joseph Megabo, the uh, CEO of Purple last week? One of my favorites so far. One of my favorites, too. If you haven't listened to it, you absolutely should listen to it. It is uh, not an interview to sleep on, if you don't mind my saying really? so. Really? Really? I do mind you saying <laughs> so. I'm the one who puns around here. Um, no, that was a good interview. It was great. Uh, fascinating CEO. And, and Joe told us that Purple is not really suffering too much from the inability to get uh, components for their mattresses. But he's not having problems. But that's not the same thing. We had a very, very different story from Sleep Number when they reported earnings. Uh, Sleep Number's earnings suffered from supply constraints. Specifically, they said near-term supply constraints limiting uh, their net sales in June, continuing into July. Now, it wasn't bad. I mean, their second quarter net sales were 484 million, which is 70% higher than it was last year, even 36% versus 2019. Year to date, their sales are up 39%, 35% over last year. So, but it could have been better and that was disconcerting. I think that's why uh, the stock sold off, as you mentioned, uh, 13%. But the company says it's made substantial progress in addressing these component shortages. And I think strong delivery volume is gonna happen. You know, when we look back on this year, it will have been fine. But uh, and they even raised their earnings outlook for the year. But the problem still persists. Here is uh, the uh, chief financial officer of Sleep Number, David Callen. We had two specific supplier challenges that happened late in the quarter. Um, and that's why the shortages impacted our deliveries in June and July. Um, those have been resolved. And, uh, and then I highlighted you know, some challenges with some COVID-related labor uh, availability uh, for one of our suppliers that's going to uh, constrain some of our deliveries in Q3. Um, when, you're do when you're driving the kinds of accelerated demand growth that we have been driving, it's bound to strain your supply chain, and that's what we've been managing through. But as I said earlier, we're excited about uh, the progress that we've been making to uh, radically uh, expand capacities in our in our delivery fulfillment uh, capabilities. Um, so, you know, as I said, we're going to uh, be on track starting in August with very strong deliveries through the balance of the year. I have to tell you, I got really frustrated in this call when they were talking about their problems and say, we're excited to serve our customers. We are really excited by the problems we have and how we're fixing them and where teams really pulling together. And I know they're from Minnesota. I know they're probably nice people, but come on, dude. It's, it's hard to take these guys completely seriously when they say they're excited with every nightmare scenario that hits them. Um, but maybe that's just that flinty Minnesota tough, uh, tough love. Well, if shares are up 114% for the year, I guess they can't be in too bad of a mood, even with the shortages. Fair, fair point. Fair point. Uh, uh, good, good on them. Good on you, sleep number. And listen to that purple interview. Ben's right. Absolutely. Listen to that purple interview. 
Um, you'll know a little bit more about business and maybe it'll help you sleep better at night. Moving right along. Please. Corey, what is your next drill down? Let's look at a little company called Verizon. Verizon Communications. Shares were up 1% today, and for the last 12 months, shares are flat. Now, you'd think with everybody communicating, people would be bumping up their data plans, and Verizon might be doing pretty well. So with their flat shares, what's the story with Verizon? Well, they reported actually a pretty strong quarter uh, today. Um, total consumer sales up 11% on the year, $23.5 billion in consumer sales, driven primarily by the recovery of wireless equipment revenue. Uh, to actually above the 2019 levels, um, which is really impressive. Now, when I was digging through the numbers um, and looking at kind of what what was weak in this, what I found really interesting is that their fees were a lot lower than they've been historically. What kind of fees? Well, added service fees, international roaming fees, like those I'm paying for my daughter in Europe right now, especially late fees, because consumers are just doing all right right now. Here is CFO Matt Ellis. One other thing I draw attention to as well, when you when you look at our numbers and you think about return of fees, one of the things that's been very strong in the first half of the year is customer payment patterns, which is a great thing to see. And certainly with all the stimulus payments out there, there's a lot of money in the system and customers are actually paying more frequently. So even though we're back to normal in terms of things like late fees, we're actually charging significantly less than we were in second quarter of 19 because more of our customers are paying on time uh, at this point, which is uh, certainly a, a trend that we're very happy to see. So I thought that's pretty interesting. I, it hadn't even occurred to me that that's a thing, that, that late fees is a real significant part of their business, or at least so much that the CFO is very aware of where they are and where they're coming from um, and uh, and where they're not coming from. And they're not coming from people who get stimulus checks. They're not coming from people who've been saving money by staying at home. And, uh, and you know, we've seen this, what did we talked yesterday about synchrony and credit cards and how people are, paying down their credit card balances and not sitting on a lot of debt. They're also paying their phone bill on time. Corey, I loved hearing their CFO say that even though it's making less money for the company, he's happy that more people are paying on time. Well, it also refers to, you know, you don't want customers, customers going bankrupt is not good for their business. Customers who can't afford extra stuff is not good for their business. So less late fees might mean more sales of more iPhones and so on. And that's good for Verizon. All right, well, we've got our next guest, the guy who can get Wi-Fi to Everest Base Camp and a whole lot of other weird places. Cambium CEO, a tool botnugger. But first. The Drill Down is brought to you by ERA. ERA's event access and monitoring intelligence platform improves earnings season and the investor events in between through comprehensive calendar tracking, one-click event access, dynamic monitors, multicasting, and more. Powered by an advanced language processing engine, which consumes some 40,000 investor events annually across 10,000 global equities, Learn more at era, A-I-E-R-A, dot com. And remember to join The Drill Down on Twitter and Instagram by following at DrillDownPod. Link up with the Business Podcast Network on LinkedIn. And check out our website, bizpod.net, to let us know what stocks you think we should be drilling down on. Right, welcome back to The Drill Down. We are now joined by the CEO of Cambium Networks, Atul Bartnugger, who joined us from Silicon Valley. Uh, Atul, glad to have you on. Um, I normally ask companies how they make money, but I want to start with what does your company do? What does Cambium Networks do? Now, Corey, our uh, main mission is connect the unconnected. Basically, we provide broadband connectivity that is uh, high quality 
and yet very affordable. So especially developing communities all over the world who are looking for broadband connectivity, internet connectivity, and yet want to make sure it's affordable, we cater to them. Those are the solutions we design with lots of innovation. And specifically, what, what kind of customer uh, uh, signs, is it signing up for a service like you would like a, like a, a you know, like an AT&T or a Verizon or something, or no, it's more than that? No, I think we, we cater to more uh, tier two cities and developing communities. So generally our customers are service providers, wireless internet service providers, tier two, tier three service providers worldwide. Uh, who really uh, offer that affordable broadband. So uh, we are a very mid-marketplace company selling to those mid-size service providers, mid-size enterprises uh, providing the broadband service. Now we provide them products, our, our uh, customers, service providers, they in turn provide the broadband service. Um, yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting company and it's an interesting sort of niche. Um, when you look at the kind of development of that over over time, um, what companies have kind of come near your space but decided to not get into it? Well, you know, there are, there are quite a few companies in our space. Uh, generally, each region has companies which provide, you know, affordable wireless broadband. Um, in North America, uh, Ubiquiti is a company which is in that space. And then internationally, there's a company called Radwin they provide these services. There's a company called Siklu. So over the, you know, globally, you will see quite a few companies providing this affordable broadband. Our differentiation is we provide very high quality, maintain affordability, and make our products very easy to manage and deploy. Uh, that's kind of how we differentiate all through innovation. Yeah, I think that um, when we're, those of us, you know, in the U.S. who are used to a certain type of experience of Wi-Fi and broadband don't understand how different it is throughout other places in the world, other cities in the world, or even other Absolutely. countries that don't have that kind of developed network. And I would imagine there are a lot of places where you are not an alternative to wireline, but you were the only thing that, that's ever happened in terms of wireless. Absolutely. I think uh, a couple of things I would share, especially post COVID, the world is at a different place. Uh, broadband is a lifeline. Fundamentally, it was always a lifeline, but I think now it's even more of a lifeline. Secondly, wireless advancements have made wireless very reliable and wireless very performant. So fundamentally now, we one of our key uh, mission is to really say wireless is the new fiber. Fiber provides performance, but so does wireless. And wireless is you know easy to deploy. You don't need to trench. You don't need to dig, dig the fields. So fundamentally, we feel that wireless has arrived and this will be a very preferred way of connecting, especially in developing communities, especially in tough terrains. And that's why we are seeing uh, a good adoption. Yeah, I'm thinking of that, that great song lyric. Maybe it's the third world, but maybe it's your first time around. You are the first time around experience of mobility for a lot of absolutely um, uh, consumers. Uh, what has the sales uh, been like for you during COVID? What has it been like to reach out to customers when a world of business travel just goes away and, and the very uneven experience of COVID that's happening around your customer base? I think COVID in general has increased the need for broadband all over the world uh, in, in multiple ways. One, those who didn't have broadband, they want broadband. 
uh, and there are many, many uh, communities all over the world. Uh, even in United States, the, I think there are north of 20 million households. They either are unconnected or they are grossly underconnected. And when you go outside North America, the situation is even more demanding in terms of connectivity. So that's one. Secondly, those who had a certain level of performance. What about, uh, um, I'm sorry, please continue. Yeah, those who had certain level of performance, they now need double the throughput because there are multiple people doing computing and uh, uh, working from home or studying from home. So demand has increased definitely during COVID. Yeah, it's, it is really interesting to me as we try to, you know, hopefully, I mean, Delta variant, I don't want to say Delta variant aside, this has been one of something that's affected all of us a lot and affecting us more and more people. But it does seem that you know, economies are reopening, consumer demand is increasing, people are getting out of the house and returning to work. And economies uh, globally are responding to that. Obviously, some places, Indonesia, are just horrible what's going on. But I, I wonder what it means, what parts of the acceleration towards digital will continue at a fevered pace? You know, are there permanent changes in behavior? And what parts were just sort of COVID only? And and I think um, you see, I mean, certainly from my perspective, when I talk, listen to conference calls all day and talk to a lot of companies, it's a very uneven response. I wonder what you're seeing, what what aspects of, of the COVID digital experience, right? E-commerce, uh, right. work from home, uh, people moving out of cities and moving to places where they actually want to leave, people quitting jobs now because they just don't want to right. do that work. Right. Um, I wonder what you see in terms of uh, things that are going to continue, especially as it relates to acceleration of Wi-Fi um, adoption. You know, Corey, I am a big believer that digitization is unstoppable. You have seen that in music. Every aspect of life, uh, you see digitization. What that means is that uh, we will measure everything. We will increase uh, based on those measurements, will increase efficiency. And that's a trend in every sector, whether it's industrial, whether it's enterprises, whether it is just home automation, doesn't matter. So I think what is driving this is for multiple decades, uh, digitization. What COVID has done, it has accelerated the already ongoing trends. It's not that COVID has done uh, you know, something radically new. And this was going on. You would have gotten from 4G to 5G. You have gotten to higher speeds. You would have gotten more in, more digitization of uh, industrials, factories. All COVID has done is it has accelerated certain transformations by, you know, one year, two years, three years. That's what it has done. But fundamentally, you are digitizing processes, as you're digitizing processes, as you're measuring more, you're communicating more, you have more sensors everywhere. As you're communicating more, you need more bandwidth, more networking. That's what's going on. So I think in my uh, opinion, you will, these changes are pretty significant permanent changes. The second key driver is human beings like to be untethered, fundamentally. We yeah. like to be free, untethered, without restraint. And wireless connectivity is providing that. People are mobile, people are working where they want to, where they are comfortable. Uh, they're changing locations. I think these are very fundamental drivers. They were always there. We have just given them an impetus to follow through. And yet, do you see the uh, acceleration of that, um, you know, 2020 spend 
continue at, at higher rates than they had been 2019, 2018, 2017, because once you once you go digital, you can't go back? Absolutely. I think, uh, see, Corey, that's what I'm saying. This transformation was coming. All we have done is we have accelerated probably, depending on the industry or segment, by one to three years. Um, 5G would have taken longer. Investments in telecommunications would have taken longer. Now, everyone knows this is a lifeline, uh, especially uh, you're a developing community. And then another realization is that the future economic systems are gonna de depend on the high-speed broadband, high-speed internet, providing education to students wherever they are, providing job opportunities, which are more information jobs. So I think what you're seeing now is a, trend, I just I would just call it say digitization. And communications is just the glue which holds it together. So the need for that glue would be there for a while. So let's drill down a little bit of what's happening right now. Um, a lot of the companies that we talk to are talking about problems in the supply chain and getting the stuff they need to, to sell, not just semiconductors, but semiconductors may be the biggest part of that. What has the effect been of the kind of global mess of uh, the global supply chain? I think, again, uh, there are multiple factors which played. Uh, one is as the COVID started, um, most of us didn't know really which way things will go um, because it was it was the unknown territory. But I think after about three, four months, uh, we knew that there is yeah. demand. So by May, June, by you know, in the January of 2020, everyone was uh, kind of uh, hold on a hold in a holding pattern, trying to save money or trying to cut the costs. But by May, June, they knew that you know, if anything, communications demand is increasing. So it was a little bit of a start and stop, and I think that uh, supply chain got jerked. And supply chains are uh, systems where you can't you can't just start and stop suddenly. It takes time, it has a hysteresis, it has a delay built in. So I would say those are the reasons why there was a hiccup, but I think these are, in some sense, these are temporary issues. Whether it's a quarter or two or three, it doesn't matter. Yeah, ultimately, it balances out. When you played over a two, three, four year period, this would be a just a hiccup. And of course- so, But you are experiencing this, this, you're experiencing this difficulty in getting parts right now. I think everybody's experiencing. This is a common fact, everybody. But some yeah. some are who did more proactive planning are probably going to do a little better. But I think it's a universal, parts paucity is universal. Yeah. Now your growth um, really has picked up dramatically. You know, you were doing kind of an 11% compound annual growth rate for most of the last five years. That lurches forward so much faster. Um, do you think that those drivers, particularly 5G and the devices, that uh, everyone's gonna come to expect to work in 5G is gonna let those kind of double digit uh, annual growth rates continue for years to come? You know, I, I always believe, uh, I will not give any specific numbers, but I will give you a pretty good indication about, I think what at least I believe in. I think this is all tied to innovation. When times change, people don't buy legacy stuff. They wait for the new architectures, they wait for the new capabilities, and they go for that. So I think companies who are progressive and who are innovating, I think they will continue to get opportunities. 
for many, many years to come because times are changing. People need more performance, they need more reliability, they need more advanced architectures. If somebody is just um, they're not inventing or not innovating, I think even if markets have opportunity, they will not capitalize as much. In times of change, the differentiation there is significant between those who are winning and those who are uh, missing on that opportunity. So I think what we kind of believe in is that, uh, you know, just be humble, listen to customers, understand the emerging needs, and just methodically keep innovating. And how much growth, where and when, you know, sometimes it takes a little longer, but if you innovate, you methodically you know, create solutions for your customers, generally you end up winning. Uh, it may not be exactly in the time frame you predicted. I think that's kind of how we have worked last 10 years. We have never tried to micro-optimize, you know, any one particular thing. I got to think that the, um the most, to me, the most interesting stories that you guys probably have are the, uh, not your your network so much, but your point-to-point solutions and the things that you're able to um, uh, allow to exist, the technological solutions you're allowed to exist with a point-to-point solution where you're actually providing wireless and Wi-Fi to places where that wouldn't otherwise have it unless you had very directly set up a network, a point-to-point solution, which is a significant chunk of your business. Maybe you can give me an example of that so our listeners can better understand what a point-to-point wireless solution looks like. And the weirder, Uh, the better. We like weird. Okay, sure. Well, uh, first of all, the point-to-point solutions we have, uh, if you can have a line of sight, we have links which are, you know, uh, close to 100 kilometers over water, uh, across mountain ranges. It's incredible, the kind of links we have let me give you an example, um, Mount Everest Base Camp. There, uh, I think this was maybe four years back or five years back, uh, we worked with a partner, uh, which uh, that region is pretty remote as, as we know. Uh, and there's a village there, uh, base, around yeah, the base camp. Yeah, that's why they call it Mount Everest. Right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So there uh, we worked with a partner and we provided a point-to-point link from that place to the valley I think if I if I remember right, this was north of 90 kilometer line of sight, and it was a 100 megabit link, and then we provided point to multi point and Wi-Fi um, uh, on the base in the, in the base camp. So the so this way you know the climbers had access to WhatsApp and internet. So that's an example. Many many installations where point to point connects remote regions, tough to reach terrain, um, all sorts, and then point to multi-point distributes the bandwidth in the last 10 kilometers, 15 kilometers area. Which is so good, because if you're climbing Mount Everest and you're at base camp taking a break, you really want to do some TikTok. Absolutely. <laughs> well, at least so you want to connect with your family, right? Because uh, you know, this is a life-threatening and, and, type and, of climb, well, of right? course, of course. Um, and military, there's military uses too, any, any you can talk about? You know, we, I won't go into specifics, but uh, I'll give you indications. So, um, you know, if we have base camps, uh, uh, say in some foreign country, and generally these base camps are, or these uh, military camps are, you know, 20, 30, 40 kilometer you know, outside the, the regional headquarters. So we, we do provide point-to-point links to the theater of action, and then they get connected to the regional uh, headquarters and communications is the key, it's a, it's a lifeline. So yeah, lots of applications like that. Um, and it's, so remember, point-to-point 
links bring bulk bandwidth, massive bandwidth. Then you distribute with point to multipoint in the last, as I said, 10 to 15 kilometers. So it's a complete architecture of bringing connectivity to wherever you are. Fascinating stuff. Um, Atul, I appreciate your time. Atul Botnagar is the CEO, Cambian Networks. We appreciate your time. Well, up next, hey, the drill down bite, the one number that tells us a whole lot. We talked about that changing growth profile uh, for Cambium Networks. I'm going to tell you that this company is growing at 11%. You won't believe how much they grew quarter of a quarter in the most recent quarter. And I'll tell you the number, that drill down bite when the drill down continues. The drill down is brought to you by Era, a one-stop equity platform where you can seamlessly connect to any earnings call and surface actionable insights automatically. Era's AI-powered tools will allow you to work faster and smarter. That's Era, A-I-E-R-A dot com. And we told you to go back and listen to that Purple CEO interview, and you should, if you haven't heard it already, you wouldn't have missed it in the first place. If you just listen to the show every day on your commute, in the shower, wherever you listen to your podcast, make it a ritual habit like so many of our listeners do. And click the subscribe button or drag down the follow thing in the menu. Whatever you got to do, you can get every single day's show once you do that. And let us know what companies you think we should be drilling down on. Talk to us on Twitter and Instagram by following at DrillDownPod and connect with us directly at our website, bizpod.net. All right, we're back with the drill down. Bite that one number that tells us a whole lot. We talked about that compound annual revenue growth of 11% for the last five years for Cambium, but things have really ramped up over there. Um, the growth number right now, and here's that drill down bite, 46% year-over-year revenue growth in the most recent quarter. So these guys are really uh, putting it into a different gear right now, um, and it's an interesting company to watch grow. All right, that's it for the drill down. Thank you for listening to us. We really do appreciate your time. Ben Wilson is our editor extraordinaire. I'm Corey Johnson, and the drill down is a product of the Business Podcast Network.